Well, uh, we are going to have you open your Bibles. It, I, maybe I should say turn on your Bibles. I just turned my Bible on here. Into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. I want to put a little pressure on you today. Just a little pressure. But again, we're going to quote from uh, the words of Jesus here. If you have a red letter Bible, it should be in red. Uh, because Jesus is speaking here. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. It says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. How many feel a little pressure? You feel a little pressure? <laughs> to be perfect. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Set the bar a little high, maybe. All right. Wow. You know, this is a verse that uh, I've pondered a lot through my life found myself wanting in terms of fulfilling this commandment. Jesus isn't giving us any loopholes here. He's not giving us any sort of, you know, way out. It says that we shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because if you did raise your hand, you'd be instantly disqualified if I said, okay, everybody who has achieved perfection in your life, just raise your hand, and then you'd all be disqualified for being prideful. Okay, so um, we're not going to have you raise your hand. No, how do you, how do you fulfill this commandment to be perfect? And when we know that, you know, we're not, you know, we, we as Christians, we, we live in a dilemma. On one hand, we know that we're, we're not perfect, uh, but we're supposed to be. So how do, we, how do we do this? Jesus commanded that we be perfect, and, and yet we know that we're, we're not perfect. How does this work out? Or is, is God just setting us up for failure here? And is it just something that we're going to just live under this cloud of guilt and condemnation? Because every time, you know, we, we think we're getting a hang of not being sinful we go and demonstrate that, that we still are in some way. And, uh, and so we, we all kind of are aware of how perfect we should be, but how we don't live up to that. But so what do we do? What do we do with that? Now, especially when we come to church. People who go to church are supposed to be perfect, right? We struggle with that. You know, a lot of people feel like they can't come to church because they're, they're not perfect. Or some people say, well, you know, as soon as I kind of clean up my life a little bit, then I'll come to church. And so we, we think that there's somehow this standard, uh, probably because of a verse like this, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And yet we're so very aware that we aren't. Now, sometimes, you know, as Christians, we, we come to church anyways, even knowing we're, we're not the picture of perfection, but we try to project that we are, okay? I know nobody in this room has ever done that, but that is what I hear, is that people often pretend or kind of put on a front, like, you know, hey, everything's okay, we're, we're, we're you know... We're doing all right. We, aren't, we don't have anything messy in our lives. And yet we know that that is a facade. We don't like to show the messy parts of our lives, especially to other you know, people on the journey of perfection, uh, that uh, we don't want them to know we have problems or temptations or sin or you know, everything's fine, everything's just fine. You know, I, uh, 
I understand expectations, you know. It's like if you go to church, you're supposed to be a pretty good person, right? And yet we know that, you know, we have flaws. We know that there are things, I, I call it besetting sins, and that, that seems to be different for everybody, you know. Uh, temptations, things that are tempting to you are not tempting to someone else, uh, but they have their own set of temptations, and you know, and, and I, I call it just besetting sins. And we 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 achieve a you know a, maybe a, a improvement in our lives over things that are considered sinful or things that you know Christians shouldn't do. But there's always that one thing, whatever that is. And it just seems like you know when we go to the Lord in prayer and we're praying and we just think, Lord, uh, I, I need to ask you forgiveness. Yeah, it's about what I asked forgiveness last time for, right? Yeah, again, I know, I know again, and we just kind of live under this lid and cloud of, of uh, guilt, sometimes shame. Uh, I, as pastor, I understand expectations, you know, to be, to be perfect. Let me, let me just pop everybody's balloon right now. I am not perfect, okay? I, I know that's shocking to you. I know that, uh, you know, that's, that's something that you'd weren't encounter, counting to, you know, encounter today, but um, yeah, you know, we, we all project, you know, that other people should be perfect in some way and meet our expectations and that sort of thing, you know, that the pastor, you know, should never be impatient, he should never be rude, he should always be friendly, always kind, but... Huh. I'm not always that. I must run in my family. Yeah, I, I, will, I will generalize here. One of my grandchildren, okay, one of my grandchildren was sitting in the back seat and their parent was driving their vehicle and they went to a store that they often go to and a and, uh, busy parking lot and they had to wait for a car, you know, to move and so that they could proceed. And then and then people started walking across, you know, in front of them. They had to stop again. And a little voice out of the back seat said, Come on, people! <laughs> Come on, people! You know, and uh, that parent, you know, turned around and said, Oh, uh, wow, where did you learn that? Said, well, that's what mom says. <laughs> so it must run in the family, right? Um, but anyways, you know, we, here we are, you know, we... we we have these tendencies, you know, to, to be less than kind or less than patient or, or whatever it is that, you know, we struggle with. Um, so no matter who we are sooner or later, though, if we kind of project this sort of facade of, you know, hey, everything's fine, everything's great, you know, we got, I'm, you know, doing good, I'm, I'm a good person, or, you know, hey, we have a perfect family, or, you know, all of those sort of projections that, you know, we want people to think of us as nice and good, and if not, you know, perfect or, or whatever. But sooner or later, sooner or later, the, that house of cards representing perfection that we so meticulously assemble over time comes crashing down. And uh, our imperfections are on display. And uh, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, and we feel diminished maybe in the eyes of the world around us. And yet, you know, it's just the truth that we all struggle with. Is that we're not <clears throat> everything we should be or everything we want to be, or we're certainly not perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. 
And even though we all struggle sometimes, you know, we've all been judgmental about these things. We think, oh my, 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 tisk, tisk, tisk. Looking at someone else's imperfection on display when we ourselves still have imperfections of our own. So we live in this, this sort of uh, dilemma that uh, you know, we, we know what the ideal is, we know what the standard is, we know what you know, the bar is for us to, to live at and to achieve, and yet reality comes kind of underneath of that somewhere, somewhere in, in there, and we don't meet the, the standard of, of perfection, even though Jesus himself here is quoting the Old Testament, commands us once again to be perfect. So it's a good question for us. Why does he demand us that we be perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect? It, it seems like in a, in a cruel sense that, that maybe he's just setting us up for failure so that, you know, he can be disappointed in us. And, and I think a lot of people have felt that in their life at one time or another. They got it just so disappointed in me because, you know, I, I have done this or I've said this or, you know, I keep doing this and I know I shouldn't. And, and uh, so we kind of walk around with this sort of heaviness and uh, cloud over us. And that's really not what God intended by, by saying this. But why does he command us to be perfect? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked today because I have an answer for us here, all right? It all has to do with our understanding about the attributes of God, God the Father. Is that God is, is uh, complete in all of his perfections. There is nothing in God that is lacking. And, uh, and, and so to approach him, that's why you and I, in our unrepentant state as sinners, cannot approach him. Because uh, if you understand the nature of perfection, perfection is that you can, you can add nothing to perfection that will make it more perfect. Perfection is perfection. And so nothing needs to be added. It's not lacking anything. On the other hand, there's nothing you can take away that will add to perfection. Perfection is what it is. And we know so little of that, right? We know so little of that. If you've ever been to the paint store, you can go to Home Depot or you can go to Sherman Williams here in town or whatever, and just notice how many shades of white, white paint there is, okay? Now, wait a minute. Now, what is white? What is the color white? Well, it's the absence of color, right? So, but we have so many shades of white. And what does that represent? What does that say? Well, that there's something else influencing the color, or the, I should say white is not really a color. It's just the lack of any other color, right? There is no, like, dark white. There's no light white. There's no medium white. It's just white. If it's going to be white, it should be white. And to say that, you know, it's, it's uh, going to be a gray white or whatever is to say there's some other influence to the color white. All right? Is that something you can relate to or not? I'm, I'm just kind of gauging here. All right, yeah. It's just a lot of porch lights are on, but nobody's home, it seems. You know what I mean? Um, so God is perfection in all of his being. And so for for him to embrace us in our sinful state would be to 
mar the perfections of God. The two cannot come together. God who is, and, and his perfections is expressed in his holiness. And uh, to be holy means to be absolutely without any influence or a relationship to sin at all. Okay, so God is holy and perfect in who he is. It's, it's important for us to understand that is the attributes, that is the nature of God. He cannot be any other way. We uh, even sing songs to this effect that, you know, there's nothing that God can't do, okay? You know, there's nothing that God can't do, you know, on and on. Well, theologically, that's not correct. There are a lot of things that God cannot do. God cannot lie, okay? God cannot be unfaithful. God cannot be unholy. Those are things he cannot do because those are not part of who he is. And if he is perfect, uh, complete in all of his perfections, uh, those are things that God cannot do. And, uh, and, and so we, um, we, we need to have an understanding of that. And so for you know, sinful human beings to embrace a holy God is just not going to happen. Um, it, it would be like having pure white, white that is absolutely white with the absence of any other influence and dropping a drop of black ink into that white, okay? It would be forever influenced by that. And, uh, and, and so we are to have relationship with our Father in heaven who is perfect. We ourselves are required to be perfect. And, uh, you know, as, as hard as we try, we know that's difficult to do. I think, you know, even to be perfect in a 24-hour period would be fun. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, I can't even go 24 hours without having some influence of things that are not holy uh, in my thinking or in my actions or, or whatever, it's absolutely impossible for us. So we have this incredible standoff in our relationship with the Father. And for us to have a relationship with him, perfection is required in order to become perfect. Our sin then must be dealt with. We cannot come to God in our sinful state. It, it is impossible. It is against his nature. So Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission, or there is no forgiveness of our sin. So we know this is that blood is required to atone or pay for sin, to have sin taken away from us. But the blood of bulls and goats and turtle doves and rams and all of that only purify until the next time we sin. It's a, it's a one-at-a-time proposition. So if we bring our, our sacrificial animal to the gates of the, of the temple to atone for our sin and, and uh, that, that uh, animal is taken and its blood is spilled on the altar and atones for our sin... That's great, we are atoned for until the next time we sin. And for me, that's not even a 24-hour period. So how do we deal with that? 
So we have to sacrifice another animal and then another and then another because of the pattern of sin. And it was an unworkable and unsustainable arrangement. The Old Testament uh, was an attempt to purify us from the outside in. And it was not effective. It didn't work well. And it wasn't on God's part, but it was on our part because we continue to sin. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19 says this, For the law made nothing perfect. The law could only address things after the fact. And so going forward, the perfection still wasn't achieved. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So there's, there's hope, and, uh, and I hope that you know we feel this ray of sunshine coming in and our predicament of being commanded to be perfect, making, you know, and, and us who are, who are still somehow not perfect, is that there is a better hope. There is a ray of sunshine that, that God is providing us by which we can draw near to God. And of course, been in church for very long, you know that, that the answer to that dilemma and the answer to that problem was Jesus. Jesus, who was God, who was in very nature God himself, came to earth and died on the cross for our sin. He is the constant sacrifice for our sin. Now what was the problem with you know, the blood of bulls and goats and rams and all of that, is that they, their blood would be spilled, their lives would be taken, blood would be spilled, and it would atone for our sin. But one time, those, those bulls and goats and rams are still dead. Okay? They could only atone one time. That blood was spilt one time. But Jesus died on the cross spilled his blood for the taking away of our sin, and then he rose from the dead. He's not a dead sacrifice. He, not, he is not dead and gone, but he lives now and he lives forever, and his sacrifice is still atoning for our sin today. Okay, I heard one amen. That You were on cue. Way to go. Way to go. I think that's... Say amen to that. Amen. amen is that his blood continues to cleanse us from sin. All we have to do is confess his lordship in our lives and believe he's risen from the dead and we have salvation. And from then we continue to walk in that new life that we have in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Really important. Thank you. Thank you. You are on cue. You get it. All right. Amen. Cleanses us from all sin. Now, when uh, we need to define words so that we know that we're what we're talking about here. What does all mean? How do you define all? What does all mean? It means all. Yeah. I know it's a hard concept, but all actually does mean all. 
And uh, there's no exceptions to that. And his blood cleanses us. That's an active term. That's a verb. Uh, cleanses us from all sin. Well, you mean just the sin that we've already sinned. Yeah, I do mean that. But I also mean the sin we haven't sinned yet. The sin that you're going to sin tomorrow? Okay, that, you know, we, we haven't gotten to tomorrow yet. You know, it's like, but once we get there, boy, are we going to do that, right? <laughs> no, even that sin that we haven't sinned yet is covered by the blood of Jesus. It can't work any other way. You know, I, I struggled with this for a long time. And just thought, Lord, um, help me understand how in the world. Because every time that I sin, I know I should repent of my sin and come to you and ask forgiveness for my sin. You know, and then I, get, I, I believe that. You, you forgive me. I ask and you give us uh, uh, forgiveness. And, uh, and yet... You know, I go right out and I sin again and I got to stop and Lord, forgive me for saying that or doing that or whatever and uh, get forgiveness. But what about the sin I forget about? What if I get to heaven thinking my slate is clean and, and, and uh, you know, the gatekeeper of heaven says, oh no, oh no, oh no. No, you forgot. Do you remember that time you said this or remember that time you did that and you never asked forgiveness? Sorry, you don't get in. You never confess this sin. Have you ever forgot that you sinned a sin? Did you ever forget a sin before you ever got to the altar of repentance and asked God to forgive you? Probably more than I'd even believe. Things that were just momentary, things that were just impulsive, things that were just... You know, uh, and something else took my attention away and, and never got back to asking forgiveness. So how do, we, how do we get to heaven? How do we ever achieve perfection? How do we ever get there? And Lord just opened up my understanding. He cleanses us from all sin. All the sin I've ever sinned and all the sin I ever will sin. God has covered it with his blood and he continues to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, does that mean, hey, we've got a, uh, you know, a, a, a free ticket to sin. Woohoo! We can do whatever we want and, uh, and it's all forgiven. Well, um, that's, a, that's a really uh, sinful sort of conclusion to make. So just kind of put you on notice of that. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a lack of understanding of the nature of sin. Um, is that even though God forgives us of all of our sin, you know, somebody who forgives us unconditionally and, and loves us unconditionally, um, those even in, in human relationships that we have with each other, maybe you have had a person in your life, maybe you do now, maybe it was in your past, who just loved you unconditionally, like, like no one else. And, and uh, they, were, they were those kinds of people that uh, no matter what you did or what you said, they, they continued to have a relationship with you 
and help you through hard times, help you through difficult times, and, and didn't pass judgment on you for those things. Now, those kind of people that were in your life, maybe it was a, maybe it was a godly grandparent, or, or maybe your own mother or father, or maybe just a really uh, amazing friend that uh, walked with you through difficult times in your life and never rejected you because your performance was less than what it should be. Those people are amazing. Do we treat those kinds of people with contempt? No, they're special people to us. And, and we, we want to increase you know, that relationship with them. And that's the way it works with God. When we understand the mercy and grace of God and what he is doing for us, it's not like, oh, I have a license to sin. It's, it's absolutely not that way when we understand how much God loves us and how his his sacrifice on the cross continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No, the attraction is not to just go and do and just dump on him all of the things that we, you know, willfully uh, do, but to live to honor him and treasure him uh, as that person who loves us unconditionally. Now, getting back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago, when, when we do hide our imperfections and, uh, you know, why do, we, why do we hide these things from each other and we kind of project uh, for the world to see, you know, this, this idea that, you know, hey, we're, we're, may not be perfect, but we're pretty close. We're closing in on it, you know. We, we just want people to think of us in that way, especially when we come to church. We don't want all of our messiness to be on display and we just think it would be the worst thing, you know, if, if you knew what was really going on in our lives. It's, it's natural for us to want to hide things that are less than perfect. Uh, if, if you see the response in uh, the opening chapters of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve are in the garden and the serpent beguiles Eve and she eats of the fruit that was forbidden by God, uh, to eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then she hands it to Adam, her husband, and he also eats of that same forbidden tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it says as soon as he did, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they had transgressed the commandment of God, and what was their response to that sin? It was to go and hide. Do you remember God comes into the garden in the cool of the evening, and, uh, and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And uh, because they would, they would fellowship, they would walk together in the garden in the evening. And they said, we are hiding. We always hide imperfection. We always hide things that we wish were better. It's natural for us to respond in that manner. What happened with Adam and Eve still is in effect today. We, we want to cover over. We want to put it behind detection, uh, out of detection. And we don't want people to know where we are imperfect. But they, Adam and Eve, like us, hide from others, hide from God, things that are imperf imperfect. And, and that is our sin. So even after we come to our salvation through Christ, we, we come to Christ, we ask forgiveness of sin, and, and, and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, uh, and yet, 
sometimes the thoughts and behaviors and responses and reactions of the old life still cling to us. Now, I've seen God instantly deliver people from addictions. I've seen people just make a 180 degree turn in their lives away from a life of sin. It's, it's amazing and, and only God could, could accomplish something like that. But there are still things that cling to us. There's this ongoing struggle with, with sin. As my body is aging, it's given me and I should say the doctor's indications that changes need to be made in the way that I eat. Okay? Now, in my old life, I love donuts. And the doctor says, yeah, donuts are off limits now. Okay? Guess what? I still like donuts. The fact that the doctor said, yeah, those are off limits. You shouldn't eat donuts anymore didn't really change the desire I have for a donut. So guess what? You know, if donuts come around, I'm just going to go right over there and sin and have one. Why? Because I still want one, right? You know, if God would just take away my desire for a donut, then this problem would be solved. If I just didn't want them, if I, if I looked, you know, like, oh, hey, this is a box of donuts, and I open it up, instead of donuts, it's a box of kale, no problem. I'm out of here, right? You know, but why? Because I don't have desire for that. I only eat that because I'm told I should. So as, you know, we go on, and obviously I see the wisdom, okay, donuts need to be off limits for me. I am eating fewer donuts than I once did in my life. I'm not perfect in that. I had one yesterday, full confession, okay, full confession. I had one donut yesterday. But that was because somebody brought it for me and I didn't want to make them feel bad. So there you have it. That's the only reason why. But yeah, it was an old-fashioned glazed and yeah. But just because I didn't want to offend them. All right. So what do we do with this dilemma of we're saved, yet we continue to sin? You know, what if we have forgiveness of our sin? We pray, God, I'm sorry, I blew it, and uh, would you forgive me? Yes, you were forgiven. And then we go out and we sin again, and then, and then the rapture comes. Do we get left behind? You know, what if, what if right in the midst of doing something we know we shouldn't do. God comes. We're left behind. I've talked about, you know, have you ever thought maybe you got left behind? Like the rapture happened and somebody you were talking to right there and, and all of a sudden they're gone and you're talking and, but nobody's there. You think, oh my goodness, the rapture happened. Maybe you've had that kind of experience. And we think, okay, I should have asked for you. I was going to do that later tonight before I went to bed, and I forgot, and here we are in, in all kinds of trouble. Um, now, here's, here's that better hope that uh, the writer of Hebrews told us about. There's a better hope out there than trying to be perfect on our, in our own strength. There's a theological term that you've probably heard if you've been in church sooner or later, you hopefully have heard the, the term sanctification. How many have heard the term sanctification? What does sanctification mean? It means to, to make what is unholy, holy. In other words, uh, 
if you read the Old Testament and uh, you, you read about all of this washing of utensils for the service of the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple, there was much water and you know washing of of these things. That was the that was the act of sanctifying those objects. So those objects that might have been unclean were passed under the water, and after being passed under the water, were made clean. They were now holy. They were sanctified, okay? It's the same symbol that you and I participate when we come to Christ in water baptism. It is that washing symbolically that demonstrates that I was once a sinner. I have died to the old life. I am resurrected to the new life. And it's that picture of sanctification, the washing of water by the word. We see this happening, and and that's what sanctification is all about. It's making what is unholy, holy. And once we have been sanctified, the the first aspect, there's two aspects of of sanctification I want you to, to remember today. If you don't remember anything else, remember this, is that there's two aspects of sanctification. One is that sanctification is instantaneous, okay? As that when we come to Christ and we ask forgiveness of our sin, and we are accepted by Christ, Uh, through that confession of our sin and and our belief in him that he is raised from the dead, we find salvation. We are sanctified. Okay, and at that point, unholy becomes holy. Unclean becomes clean. Imperfection becomes perfection in the eyes of God. One thing that we need to understand is that all of the getting into heaven is we don't get into heaven because we are a good person. If you ever want to drive yourself a little crazy, just write down what it means to be a good person. Define that. Everybody uses that, but nobody defines it. What does it mean to be a good person? Well, um, I guess you don't kick chickens in the creek. Uh, You know, I don't. What does it mean to be a good person? Well, uh, you tell the truth. Well, how often do you not tell the truth? Well, let's not get into that, okay? So, you ever want to lean on that? It was like, if, if God came today, would you go to heaven? Well, yes, I would. Why do you think you would go to heaven? Well, because I'm a good person. Well, just define how good you are. What does it mean to be good? Tell me how good you are. And it's indefinable. It's, there's no standard. Like, if you do this and this and this and this and this, then you are a good person. There is no standard to being a good person. Should you be a good person? Yeah, yeah, be a good neighbor. Um, I hope that you are a good person, but it's not what gets us into heaven. It is not what makes us sanctified. So sanctification, the first aspect of it is that it's instantaneous. At the point of salvation, we are made perfect by the blood of Jesus. The thief on the cross had no opportunity to make himself acceptable. Remember the conversation Jesus had with the thief on the cross? And he expressed faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Now he was a thief. He was dying for the crime he had committed. The Roman government said, this man is a thief and he deserves to die on a cross for the crimes and the sins he has committed. And there he is. And he turns to Jesus in a moment of faith and confesses Christ as his Savior and Lord. Lord, remember me this day. 
And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. So he could not get down from the cross and atone for all of the crimes he'd ever committed and to become a good person and then go to heaven. There was no time he was dying. So understand that, that sanctification is instantaneous. Is that we are at, at the forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord that we are made perfect. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For he, God the Father, in him, these, these uh, pronouns here, so God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, in other words, he was perfection, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. What sin did, since Jesus never committed any sin, how did he become sin? Because the Father imputed your sin and my sin as if it were Jesus' sin. He removed our sin and placed it on Jesus, who knew no sin. And he atoned for our sin in that manner. He, he owned our, our sin, and he took it to the cross and shed his blood to atone for our sin, and then died, but rose again. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, By one offering, and that was the offering of Jesus, by one offering he has perfected forever. Now that's another good word to define. How long is forever? Is it like sometime next week? How long is forever? Forever is how long? Forever. And he has perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. This is interesting. So perfected forever, that's past tense. He has perfected, okay? Once for all time, perfected forever. Those who are being, what is that? That's, that's a verb, that's active. Being sanctified. So he has perfected forever those who are being perfected. That's a little bit of hint of what's to come. But what Hebrews 10, 14 is saying, he is, by one offering or the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he has perfected those, you and I, who are now being sanctified. So we are now children of God. First John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Now we who could not come into the presence of God because of his holiness, now because we are being perfected forever, we have opportunity now to come near, to embrace, to have relationship with God the Father. That problem with him being holy and unapproachable by sinful men has been solved through the sacrifice of Jesus and blood, because we have been made holy, and now you and I have access and entrance to the Father. So, instant, uh, sanctification is instantaneous. Number two, this is the second thing I want you to remember. First is, sanctification is instantaneous. You have been made sanctified at salvation. Number two is that sanctification is progressive. Ah, that's where we get back to this, this whole cloud of guilt and shame that we uh, place ourselves under. 
Now, the, the, the stuff that, that we try to deny and hide and keep out of sight, it's not, it's not hidden from God. Isn't, isn't that the most ridiculous thing? Um, have you ever, you know, been playing hide-and-seek with your kids or your grandkids or something like that, and they are hiding, but you can see right where they are, <laughs> right? That's kind of a great picture of us trying to hide our sin from God. It's like, what sin? What sin are you talking about? God knows what sin he's talking about. And we think that somehow, you know, we can hide these things from God. But, but God knows. And the things of the old life that, that cling to us are known to him. Good news, good news. God is still working on us. You know, it's not like, you know, God has granted salvation and then he's kind of stepped back to see how we're going to do. No, no, no. no he's, he's every day working in us. Every day, walking alongside of us. Those things that we try to hide are, are not to remain. We are being sanctified. Going back to uh, Hebrews 10.14. Those who are being sanctified. So it's an active thing that's going on in us each and every day. We are being sanctified each and every day as the Holy Spirit. And this is the difference between what God is doing uh, as expressed in the New Testament as the old, from the Old Testament is that what the law that tried to perfect us from the, from the outside in through sacrifice and, and sacrament and ceremony and all of those kinds of things that you know, we would demonstrate and we would do, you know, works of righteousness that, that would hopefully make us holy, it, it it failed. It did not work. But what God now is doing is not working from the outside in. He's working from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is living within us and guiding us and giving us wisdom and giving us insight and, and uh, directing us in the way that we should live. So uh, we are being perfected each and every day as the Holy Spirit works from the inside of us to the outside of us to bring us ever closer to the image of Christ. What the law attempted to do from the outside, the Holy Spirit does much better from the inside. The fact that we are being perfected, I think, is, is something that, that uh, we can grasp a hold of. We may not be everything that we are. In fact, you know, uh, criticisms of Christians, Christianity, generally, all those Christians, just, they just think they're better than anybody else. And let me, let me just state for the record here, Christians are not better than anyone else except for who they once were. The only person I am better than is the person I used to be. I'm not better than you, I'm not better than someone else, but by the grace of God and by God's help, I am better than what I once was. And that's the journey that we're on. Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How do we do that? By coming to Christ, receiving salvation, forgiveness of our sin, and then one day at a time, as he is faithful to continue to work in us. Hebrews 10, 14 goes on to say, for by one offering, Jesus he has perfected forever those who are being 
sanctified. And that's the process, you and I. Are we perfect yet? Probably not. In the eyes of, of God the Father, are we perfect? Yes. The story of the prodigal son, if you know that story, find it in the Gospel of Luke. It's a great story because I think it, it kind of sheds light on this whole dilemma. If you know, father had two sons, the younger of the two sons said, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of waiting around till you die. I want my inheritance now. And the father gave it to him. And he took his inheritance and he wasted it until there was nothing left. And he was left destitute and desperate enough to eat and live in the pigsty in a foreign land. What a, what a desperate picture. Young man who lived in the house of a wealthy father, now living in a pigsty and eating what the pigs ate. And then there's, there's a great verse in there. It says, but then he came to himself. Have you ever had those moments? <laughs> you think, whoa, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? Well, it says, and then he came to himself and he said, what am I doing here? Even the servants in my father's house are living better than I am. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, he practiced a little speech. He says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your servants. And he got up out of the pig pen and he started his journey home. While he was a great ways off, the Bible says, the father spotted him. And he didn't wait with arms folded until he crawled got clear of the house, crawled up to his feet and begged for forgiveness. Now it says the father ran to him, met him there on the road. And there he was in his pigsty clothes, barefoot, destitute, and he begins to rehearse his speech. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You ever felt that way? You've sinned, your son of the father, you're a Christian believer, and then, and then you just lived away from him. And we feel like, I am no longer worthy to be, to be a Christian. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. And as he's spelling that out, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your servants. And the father just overrules him. He just talks right over the top of him, and he says, bring the best robe in the house and put it on him. And bring sandals and put them on his feet. And then the father pulls off the signet ring of the family. And he says, put this ring. This is the checkbook of the whole family. Puts this ring on his finger. And restores him to full sonship in the house. Now, now I say restore. It's probably not the best word. Because this young man started out as a son. And even though he did everything contrary to what he should have done and how he should have lived and contrary to his identity as a son of his father, lived in a pigsty, came back. He never, in the eyes of the father, he never stopped being a son. It wasn't that he wrote him off. The father didn't say, well, that ungrateful, prodigal son, I'm not going to have anything to do with him anymore. 
It's embarrassed the family. It's brought shame on our good name and all of those things that we might expect. He never did that. But when he saw him a long ways off, he ran to him and embraced him and restored him to everything that he had wasted and everything that he took for granted. That's a picture of how God looks at us. We come to Christ and we are now sons of God. And we may do some things that are contrary to everything that we know we shouldn't do. And yet God never writes us off. God never stops loving us. But he brings us to that place. We realize that God never considers us not his children anymore. And you say, well, does, you know, we can get into Arminian theology, you know, can we lose our salvation? Yeah, I think it's possible. But to anyone who wants to return to the Father, he'll say yes. He'll say yes. But let me, let me say this. I, I want to pray today with those in this room Maybe your parent and your son or daughter is that prodigal. Don't give up on them. Do not write them off. Pray for them. Long for them. Pray that they will be restored to your household. Maybe you are here today and, and there's some besetting sin that you just can't seem to shake. You've, you've eliminated a lot of the things in your life, but there's something that you just can't seem to break the back of and you sin that sin over and over and over and it's you wonder if there's any grace left in God's heart to forgive you one more time for the very same thing I want to pray for you today those who are you know just kind of feeling like you know it's just a lot of pressure I don't want people to know the problems that we have at home. I don't want people to know the problems I have in my marriage. I don't want people to know all about all these things. And, and there are probably good and right and appropriate times and settings for those things to be shared and prayed for and all of that. I'm not saying we have to wear that on our sleeve. But we struggle. We struggle with what we want to hide. We're not, we, we understand of anybody our imperfections. And so therefore we want to hide that. We want to project perfection. I, I just want to say, you know what? The pressure's off. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could build a community of people where our imperfections were known and there was nothing but love and acceptance and prayer for that? Wouldn't that be amazing to have a community? Oh, wait, wait a minute. That's called the church. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing to be a church like that? And not like, oh, how embarrassing. Your sin is on display in... We don't want to have anything to do with you. What grace and mercy can be displayed through us? Not, not our grace, not our mercy, but God's grace and God's mercy displayed through us to bring people back to that place where, yeah, I'm not perfect. But through Christ, through Christ, I am. That's the way he sees me. He's working on me every day. I'm not better than anyone else, but I am better than the person I once was. If you are praying for a son or a daughter or a loved one of some kind, 
or you just want prayer for yourself and just say, Lord, I just struggle with guilt. I struggle with not living up to what I know I should be living up to and all that. I, I'm just going to ask you something bold today. Would, would you stand and just say, I want prayer? And uh, we're not going to ask you for specifics, but uh, if you just want prayer and release from any sort of cloud over you or, or fear of, of your imperfection being on display or whatever, I, I would just invite you to stand right now. Yeah, just right now. There's a lot of people like me. There's a lot of people that need grace and forgiveness and understanding. And, and here we are. Here we are. We can be that place. We can be the church today. Amen. Heavenly Father, we stand here today, Lord, in full admission in front of you and everyone else. We are not perfect people. But we thank you, Lord, that by your word you have revealed to us that we are perfected forever in relationship to Jesus. When Jesus has forgiven us our sin, he has forgiven us our sin. And Lord, we rejoice in that. Lord, we are humbled by that. We are blown away by that. And Lord, I pray that we would, in our daily struggle, Lord, lean more and more on your Holy Spirit. Lord, instead of feeling like somehow we have a license to sin now and we can go do whatever we want and just get forgiveness later, Lord, that we would abandon that approach to life. And we would live more and more in the grace of God and allow the Holy Spirit's voice to guide and direct us and lead us on a path away from sin. And Lord, I pray for, for wayward sons and daughters today or just wayward loved ones. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord, let them have the moment where they come to themselves. And Lord, that they make their journey back to the Father. Lord, I pray that they would return to you. And, and Lord, that we would have that opportunity, Lord, to just embrace them and, and to love them and, and to welcome them home. Father, I pray for each one today, Lord, who struggles and Lord, just a besetting sin of some kind. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that, Lord, they would just be released from the power of that. Lord, for those who struggle with fear of being discovered, Lord, those who struggle with, with the imperfections of their life, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that they would know that they are accepted in the Beloved. Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ does not stop short of their sin. And Lord, that we can embrace the forgiveness that we can have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we can live a life free from sin as you release us each and every day. And so we pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen.